This is Unfinished Business, a weekly discussion show about the business end of web design and creative industries. The show is hosted by me, Anna Debenham, and my co-host, Andy Clark. Hello, Andy. Hiya. How are you doing? I'm actually all right. The snow is not too bad up here. I've seen more snow in a snow globe. (laughs) Yeah, it's not too bad here either. It's uh, quite nice. So we'd like to say thanks to this week's sponsor, Hammer for Mac. Uh, If you write HTML and CSS, Hammer speeds up your workflow by compiling SAS and CoffeeScript while allowing you to use includes, clever paths and even variables right there in your HTML. We'll talk more about Hammer for Mac later in the show. Hey, you know that I've said that I wasn't going to be doing any speaking this year? Yeah. Wasn't going to do any conferences. I might have to break my own rule. I got, <laughs> I got an email this morning from, here we go, you gotta, you gotta see this. The Jerusalem International Conference on Neuroplasticity and Cognitive Mo- Modifiability. Wow. I didn't, is... I didn't know you, you were kind of cleared up about <laughs> cognitive modifiability. If anybody, if anybody's underqualified to talk about the brain, it's me. And uh, this is this is amazing. Hi, Andy. We'd we'd, we'd like you to uh, to present a paper um, at this conference. The, the the introduction. If you go to the website, you can actually have a look. This is fantastic. This is actually at brainconference.com. Put a link <laughs> in the show notes. This is so cool. But I've got to read you the sentence from the website, and because uh, this is this is right up my alley. This one. Cognitive modifiability is possible and practical. Recent evidence now available through extensive and ongoing research demonstrates that the brain is modifiable, responsive to structural and functional change as a consequence of external stimulation, leading to neural plasticity. This conference brings together the perspectives of two disciplines, that of cognitive education and intervention and the new neurosciences. A consideration of the relationship is now critically important because the modifiability of the brain has long been denied by generations of scientists and educators, and is still not well acknowledged and reflected in practice. Major findings are coming to light daily as scientists develop new research designs focused on diverse and expanding variables and exploit the new and expanding non-invasive technologies that enable the study of the brain in situations of real-time exposure. Wow. (laughs) So cool. Do you know the best bit? The best bit about this email? The email address of the guy that sent it to me is drbrain at brainconference.com. Wow. <laughs> Dr. Brain. Is this an actual conference? Yeah, this is actual brainconference.com. I, you can't make this stuff up. Are you going to submit a paper? What am I going to submit a paper about? <laughs> well, it, it kind of sounds like it's about responsive brains. It, it, it didn't mention responsive. <laughs> also, do you remember years and years and years ago, Jeffrey Zeldman had Ask Dr. Webb? <laughs> Was his thing before a list apart and everything else? He did this Ask Doctor Web thing. Well, Ask Doctor Brain. Brilliant. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> hey, we were talking about comics last week. Mm-hmm. I'm, I've been looking at. I've been trying to find some things. I'm going to send you some comics. Yay! <laughs> Have you heard comics. of this of a comic book character called Concrete? No. Okay, this is not unrelated to brains, by the way. But it's uh, it was a Dark Horse comic started back in. Ah, I think it started in the 80s. But it's about this guy. There was Basically, the story is, I'm not going to spoil anything, but the story is it's about this guy, Ron, who mm-hmm. is a, a speech writer for a senator in America. And him and a friend, they go on a hiking holiday up into the mountains and they get abducted by aliens. <laughs> so they wake up and they've had their brains transplanted into these massive concrete bodies. I mean, huge kind of stone-shelled concrete bodies. Anyway, they try to escape, and uh, Ron manages to get out, and just before the spaceship takes off, taking his friend with him. And Concrete's left on his own in the world inside this concrete body. And the whole story is about how he comes to terms with being concrete. And it's just the most incredible kind of sensitive human story it's not a superhero story Hmm. it's just about ron and concrete and how they come to terms with living in the world and it's good it's it's done by this uh guy called paul chadwick who spends years working on these stories he did um some work on star wars comics Mm -hmm. and he did the matrix online as well but his real passion is concrete and it's just a beautiful story and you're gonna love it 
if anybody's out there wants to look up, look up concrete, I'll put a link to uh, some stuff in the show notes. But, so I've uh, got I've got a um, something I want to send you. Um, Trigun, have you heard of it? No, what's that? It's a space western. Uh, it's kind of a anime um, sort of series of uh, kind of shows about uh, this. He's like he's a villain, but he's uh, it's really hard to explain. Go and look at the Wikipedia article about it. Um, but it's this really kind of uh, superhero villain kind of guy um, set in a kind of western futuristic place. Um, I haven't watched it in years, so I, I'm a bit vague on what it was about, but I remember really enjoying it. Mm. So I just ordered the, the box set, and I'm going to watch all of them again, and I'll send you the box set when I've finished. Did you ever see a movie called Westworld? Mm, oh, yeah, yeah, the one uh, where they got sort of virtual reality. It's a bit like um, Total Recall, but... Sort of. <laughs> so, well, it's sort of. It's Yul Brynner as a robot gunslinger. Yeah. And people go on holiday to these kind of themed resorts where they're populated by robots. And, you know, you can, in the in Westworld, you can pick up a gun and, and, and shoot people. Yeah. But, you know, they're really robots. And that's all well and good until until one of the robots goes wild and ends <laughs> up killing all the guests. Yeah. That's a really good film. Oh, I really enjoy oh, I'm going to watch that tonight. Concrete, um, it's, it, a lot of the, the concrete reproductions are out of print, but I think there's a couple of trade paperbacks I'm trying to track down. You might be able to get them on Amazon, mm. um, which kind of collects a lot of the most popular concrete stories. But it's just such a lovely thing. You just completely different from you know what you'd think a comic book character in a big concrete body would would be about. <laughs> cool. I'm looking forward to that. I watched Dread. <laughs> Have you seen this? Have you seen no. the Dread movie? It was interesting. Are you a big Judge Dredd fan? No, I don't really know what it is. Okay. It's Paul Boag, he didn't. He taught you nothing. <laughs> He's a 2000 AD uh, aficionado. And uh, Paul is. Judge Dredd's uh, been a comic book character in British comics for, well, 30-odd years. And uh, they made one terrible movie of Judge Dredd uh, with Sylvester Stallone back in '95. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was awful. <laughs> it makes me cry. It's not even a guilty pleasure. I watched it a couple of weeks ago, and it's just terrible. <laughs> it's got Max von Sydow in it as the villain, and he's just... Oh, it's its a terrible movie. Just don't ever watch it. But they made an, a low-budget uh, action movie of Dread, uh, which came out just before Christmas. And I watched it in 3D at the cinema, and then watched it on iTunes the other day. And it's actually really good. You should check that out. Yeah, have a look. If you like ultra-violent superhero, well, <laughs> kind of super cop, cop movies. Yeah, yeah, I'm into that. <laughs> Most frustrating, though, because I remember you know, reading 2000 AD as a comic series for years. I had it, I think 1977 was, was I had an issue number one. It had a space spinner on the front, like a little Frisbee thing. In fact, I had the first 100, and I kept them really, really, really mint. And then, um, when I went off to, when I went off to, to art school, um, I left them at home. My mum threw them out. <laughs> Always the way. Do you not know how much these things are worth? <laughs> There's such good stories in those. Such good stories in, in those comics. And, you know, not just one-offs. Alan Moore did a lot of, uh, he wrote a lot of stuff for 2000 Eddie back in the day. And not just one-offs, but there's like whole, series of really good kind of ideas that they could use for movies. I don't understand why they just keep remaking Spider-Man. We should maybe do a show all about comics at some point. Oh, yeah. I know Dan talks about comics on 5x5, but I don't know whether he's ever read any proper, you know, British, British (laughs) comics. We could put our own unique Brit spin on that. Yeah. So we should probably talk about uh, rates. Yeah, before we talk about rates, though, can we mention our fantastic sponsor for this episode? Yeah. It's Hammer for Mac. <gasps> Drum roll. <laughs> I, actually, I really love this. I really, really love this application. Um, Hammer for Mac, it's a fabulous app from uh, the folks at Riot, which is a British software development house. And it's for people that write HTML. So 
what does it do? Well, it speeds up your workflow. But how? Well, I mean, I don't know where to start. I honestly, I don't know where to start. <laughs> Hammer compiles SAS and CoffeeScripts too. Um, and I know that there are plenty of ways to do that, but Hammer's just getting started when it's doing its compiling. The way it works is that Hammer takes your production files and then it compiles them inside a build folder inside your project. So you can keep your development files clean by using things like HTML includes, which are kind of like PHP includes, but they're HTML. And it's got clever paths built in too, so you never, you never have to write the full path to an image or a script or a style sheet in your document. You just have to write the file name. And then Hammer finds those files automatically. And then when it compiles, it writes the full path into your HTML pages. It's, it's just amazing. I've been using Hammer since the, since the beta. And I really, really love it. I can't imagine writing HTML without it. And I, I think you're going to love it too. There's a free trial available. But I mean, seriously, if you write HTML, just pony up for the full copy. It's £16.99 in the Mac App Store and whatever that works out at in other currencies. And you can find out more at Hammer for Mac slash Unfinished. Thanks to Hammer for Mac for sponsoring this week's show. Something you didn't mention that Hammer does, which um, so I've just been trying it out, um, is you can publish what you've done to uh, to the web, so you can have a, a version to share with the client. Uh, I just really like that feature. There is so much that I didn't mention about Hammer. <laughs> so much. I keep discovering things all the time. You can even use things like variables inside uh, your HTML documents. Mm. So imagine that you you've got half a dozen templates and there's just let's say the title element on the on in the HTML, and instead of writing that in the title element, the title of the, the project in the title element, and maybe in the H1 um, of every template that you're working on, you can just declare a variable in one place, even just like in one file. So you can put the variable of the uh, of the project name, and then just include that variable wherever you need to use it. And then if a client changes their mind. You can just, boom, you can just change it in one place. It's amazing. Love it. I love it too. So we should talk about rates. Yeah. Which is the topic of the uh, the week. This all started from uh, an email that we received from, or I received, from Dennis Gable. I hope I pronounced that right. G-A-E-B-E-L. He emailed the show. Hi, Dennis. And this is what Dennis had to say. He said, I've just finished reading Mike Montero's Design is a Job book. That's a great book. Have you read that? No, I haven't. It's part of a book apart series. Ah, it's a really good book. And uh, Dennis says in the book, there could have been more about rates. Sure, you can decide what you want to charge, but how does someone starting out learn how to decide what mm. to charge, what their rate should be? I think it's a great question. Trouble is, a lot of people don't, aren't talking about rates. Yeah. It's yeah, a it's... really touchy subject. It's quite daunting as well. I mean, setting your rate, it's, it, it just determines so much about whether you're going to be, um, making money or not, whether you're going to be losing money or whether you're going to be earning enough to pay the rent. And I think people are kind of scared to talk about it in case they get it wrong, maybe. Do you not think there's, there's a general kind of embarrassment about talking about money? Though? Oh, yeah, yeah. Somehow talking about what you earn is a taboo. Mm. I think it doesn't really make sense because, you know, clients always want to know how much you charge. But I don't understand why designers and developers don't talk about it more, um, you know, on podcasts. Yeah. Well, what? hopefully we're going to change that. <laughs> but it's, why are people so embarrassed about that? I don't, I, I don't understand. I've always been quite open about, you know, the way that we work and, and, and the things that we charge. And I haven't had too much. I, did, I mean, I've had occasionally idiots will, you know, poke, you know, poke at me on Twitter about things. But generally speaking, I haven't had any kind of negative feedback about doing it either. Mm, it's it's quite rare for freelancers to kind of to put their rate on their site or even agencies, I've noticed. You, you know, you have to contact them and, and it, it means that you get a lot of, inquiries that um you know just aren't relevant at all that right from the offset they just would never be able to afford you or 
um, you know, they don't know how long things are going to take. And I think being more transparent is a lot better because it means that um, people don't waste their time at both ends. Yeah, I mean, that's a good subject. I think that's, that might even be a subject for another show because how you, and, and I think you'd probably wrap it up into a subject like how do you get the work that you want to get? Mm. You know, how do you filter out the type of work that you know isn't going to pay the bills or isn't the kind of thing that you're interested in? Yeah. So should we talk about um, sort of how we started out, what we were doing then and how we worked out our rates? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good place to start. I mean, I think it's important, obviously, for a lot of people to, to, yeah, to, to get it right, to get the balance right, not charge too much, not charge too little if you actually want to be getting work. Mm. How do you go about it? Um, so I was looking at some really old invoices. So ones that when I first started out, um, and I basically did it on a per project basis. I'd just look at a project and say, Oh, I think that will cost, you know, a grand or 500 pounds or, um, just kind of, cause I had absolutely no idea what people charged. I didn't know how much projects cost. Um, I didn't know how many hours it would take as well. So I was kind of stabbing in the dark and, it meant that I was earning just so little that, you know, I could have worked in McDonald's for the same amount. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I'm looking at this invoice at the moment, like one of the first ones I sent out and I was, um, I think I was charging 18 pounds an hour. Um, and it took me way longer than that, but I was too embarrassed to kind of charge more, uh, because, because I was kind of new to the industry and, and it meant that I was doing really kind of, I wasn't doing the work that I wanted to do. Uh, but then again, I, I didn't have a lot of experience and it was a good way to to get that experience. But it, it meant that I was really struggling for for about a year or two until I put my rates up. But it was, in a way, it was easier because, I, you know, I was I was still living with my parents and um, a lot of my friends were, they'd just gone off to uni at that time, so it, it wasn't unusual. Uh, but I think... Um, by charging a bit more, I would have got sort of more respect and more, um, you know, just been able to move out a bit sooner. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, perceptions, perceptions are often, often different from reality. I don't know whether you'll remember this, but, um, back in, it was about 2004 or f- it was actually, it was about 2005 and I redesigned the online store for Disney UK. Mm. It was one of the things that, that, you know, got us more well known. It mm. was what I, I spoke about at that first at media conference back in 2005. And around about that kind of time, you know, we were, we were doing jobs. We were doing, you know, regular website jobs for, you know, build an entire site for two and a half grand. That's the kind of work we were doing. Yeah. Yeah, that site for Disney, and it doesn't exist anymore. And I think the only place you can probably find it is screenshots in in a couple of books. I think it's in one edition of Jeffrey's Designing with Web Standards. It's the only place you'll find it now. Do you know how much that that site cost? We designed an e-commerce store, all the templates, all the graphics, the whole thing, um, including CMS integration for Disney. How much do you think that site cost? Oh, I don't know. Maybe how long did it take? Uh, overall, I would say good couple of months. Mm, maybe six grand or something. Yeah, five grand. This was yeah. five a five grand website <laughs> for a company like that. We yeah, we were all over the place when it came to money. Mm. Literally all over the place, and it, like you say, it was tough. You know, it was tough. Well, you kind of you don't want to go in there and just ask for a ridiculous amount because you're worried that they'll just say no and then you won't get any work. Well, it's, it's interesting. I mean, we, we'll talk about, talk about this a lot, I think, today. But one of, the, one of the things that we did, and it was actually my wife's idea, one of the things that we did was um, we, were t- we were talking to some friends of ours um, about business and, and stuff. Um, and they were all charging more than we were. Mm. You know, we're stuck up here um, in North Wales and... You know, it's not exactly, it's not exactly the metropolis. And 
we didn't know what to charge. And a lot of our work up until that point had been kind of a lot of, you know, local work. So, and I think we were charging at, at the time, this is 2004 stroke five or something like that. I think our rate was 250 pound a day. Mm. And, and my wife's idea was the, the now infamous, uh, double your day rate Friday. <laughs> and, what her idea was, and we did this and it worked, was we took a random Friday every month and any quotes that we did on that day or any piece of work that came through the door, you know, updates and stuff that we had to do, we just doubled the price mm. just to see whether, you know, the market would stand it. And we were really surprised. I don't think we lost any work <laughs> down to that. And we kept doing it. We kept doing it until I think somebody went, oh, that's a bit steep. And then we realized that we might cross the line. And uh, I recommend trying that if you think that you're undercharging. Just do but that on a random Friday. Then I happens. guess the point where they say, oh, that's a bit steep, that's probably where you've hit the sweet spot. It probably is. And it also teaches you a hell of a lot about negotiation, which is something that I want to talk about later mm -hmm. on in the show. I think another reason why people don't really like talking about charging money is because a lot of people do this. You know, we feel lucky that we're doing a job that we really enjoy doing, that we're passionate about. It, for, you know, for me, for a long time, it felt kind of wrong to be charging for it because I was enjoying it so much. It's like, wow, people actually pay me to do this. I do this as a favor. <laughs> yeah. Sue used to say, my wife used to say, um, it's, it's not a job that you do. It's not a business that we run. It's a hobby that you make money from. Yeah. But it is still a business. I mean, you're, you, you've got employees and you've got to kind of worry about them. Yeah, exactly. There's been some surveys about rates. Mm. There was one on, uh, a list apart did, did a rate survey. Yeah. Um, I think the last one was, was it 2011? Yeah. Yeah. That's the most recent one. And our friend Cole Henley. Uh, also has his rates survey. Put he's some links based in, in uh, is he still in Wales? No, well, he's, he's based down south somewhere. He's probably yeah. covered in snow today. Yeah. But that was, <laughs> that, that was an interesting, interesting survey. Did you see the results from that? Yeah, I had a look through. Um, yeah, it's, it's really good to kind of have a look through this. Uh, it, is, it is kind of UK based. Uh, it's all sort of amounts in pounds, but, um, it was kind of reassuring for me because I realised I wasn't I wasn't charging too little, but I wasn't charging too much. I think it's quite dangerous. Um, as I said before, I've, I've never really had any negative uh, feedback from talking about rates and things publicly. Um, but our studio rate w is on that survey, and I did get one or two people um, making negative comments about bloody hell. <laughs> I can say bloody hell on the show, can't I? Um, should I say that? Bloody squirrels. Yeah, better than squirrels. Um, <laughs> a couple of people uh, point it, and it, it is quite—it's dangerous to, to, to compare rates. I think mm. um, sometimes. Yeah, it it can set a kind of uh, have and have not mentality. Um, sort of people up questioning, well, why are you charging that much? And, um, but at the same time, it, it, it's good to get an idea of the, the competition. And, um, I think for a lot of people starting out as well, if they, if they realize they're charging right at the bottom end, it, you know, it's how, how can, I don't know, it's looking at, looking back at what I was charging and I just don't know how I got by. Um, you know, I couldn't, I could barely pay the rent and, um, it's just making sure that you're, you're being sensible about it. Um, there, there's a, there's an article on freelancewitch.com, uh, which is all about how you set your rates. And it, it's really good to look at this because it has a list of all of the things that, that will cost you money. And among those things, um, things like, well, how many sick days do you think you're going to need? How many days of holiday? How many days do you work on average? And before when I was setting my rate, I was thinking, well, I'm going to work, you know, five days a week, eight hours a day. Um, I'm going to be, um, you know, working 52 
weeks a year, but it, it doesn't work like that. You know, you have days when you, you don't have any work on or you have days when you're ill and you need to take a day off. And if you can't even reach your break even point, then you have to question sort of why you're, why you're freelancing and whether it's better to, to get a kind of, um, a job with a paycheck, whether that would be a safe thing to do. I mean, it's not just about whether it's not just about freelance. It's about when you have a business and you have employees too, mm. about charging for the time that you're not working. Does that sound odd? No. <laughs> um, because, you know, not everybody is going to be busy doing, um, you know, productive billable work mm. every hour of the day, every day of the week, or even every week of the month. And actually it's important, especially for designers, I think for me at least it's 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 important to have a little bit of downtime yeah a little bit of space conferences and workshops exactly a little bit of space and you know you're really looking about um you're really looking at what you need to charge to exist to do what you do Mm. um and obviously you know more than that pay for your pay for your kids to eat yeah pay for new computers if your one blows up yeah exactly (laughs) Exactly, because you know life's unpredictable. Mm. How do you charge at the moment? Do you charge a an hourly or a daily or a weekly rate? What do you do? Uh, I charge a daily rate. Uh, it's three hundred pound a day, and um, on top of that, I charge things like uh, if I have to travel or um, if I have to get hotel, um, I charge them separately. I've always found that hourly rates and daily rates are a little hard to not just to administer but to schedule yeah they're good for if you know if you're just going to be sort of going in doing consultancy um if there's no kind of end date maybe um they're quite tough if you've got someone who says right i have uh i have this budget and these things that i need done and it's kind of that that can be quite difficult because you don't know how many days it's going to take or you kind of have to have to guess a bit. I don't want to go too far off topic, but um, we, we've actually started having uh, a weekly rate now. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, we, 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 we don't charge for kind of, you know, bits and pieces, an hour here and an hour there. So we, we decided that it made sense for us to break projects down into, what's that, weekly sprints, you know, in a kind of a scrum, agile kind of way. Yeah. Um, and we now schedule and we now invoice on a weekly basis. Mm. And boy, has it made things better, mm-hmm. made things so much better for us. Uh, you know, we don't have to, you know, we can easily scan the diary and find out when we're free. Yeah. And it's easy for us to, you know, to quote and break projects down so that, you know, you know, on a Friday, whether you've achieved what you set out to do. Mm. Um, I want to talk about this maybe in, a, in, in another show in terms of how we organize projects. Mm. At week, the weekly thing has really, really worked for us. I mean, I've had my weekends back in the first time. <laughs> first time in like 15 years or something. Yeah. I used to charge per hour. Um, and that was quite handy because I had quite a lot of clients then, um, sort of wanting lots of little things done. And often I'd spend, you know, two hours working on, for one client, two hours working for another client on the same day. Um, but it kind of, it got very stressful. It got very kind of, um, just, I had so many different, different things to do that day. And I found it a lot easier to just say, well, just send me all of your kind of, all of the changes you want made in one go. And then I'll spend the day working on them rather than splitting it up by hour. I am a terrible multitasker. <laughs> it's really tough am. when you, when you're sort of jumping between things. Um, it, it, you kind of, it takes you a while to get in that that mindset and as well as that it it seems like invoicing someone for an hour it it, it's almost not worth it because it's just if you if you're only charging say back then i was charging say 18 pound an hour um it take me say 20 minutes to write them an invoice set them up as a client and um by the time they you know sent it over it was sort of two hours yeah, I, I, yeah. As I said, I'm a, just a terrible multitasker. I, I can't concentrate on something when I know that there's like a half a dozen things that are kind of chewing at my ear. 
Mm. I just, I just can't do it. So this weekly thing's worked out really well, really well for us. Um, and it's had a massive impact on cash flow too. And I, again, I don't want to get off the subject, but it's improved our cash flow. Yeah. No so do, do you invoice weekly? Yeah. Basically what we do is, um, we set out a schedule with the client. So we, we set a theme for the, for the piece of work that we're going to do in a kind of an agile way. Mm-hmm. So we know that between, you know, one week or two weeks, we're going to be accomplishing a certain, a certain thing, certain set of requirements. And we charge one week up front. Mm-hmm. We don't charge a, you know, deposit of 30% or 50%, anything like that. It's basically, it's a week up front, which means that our exposure for, for work is always only ever a week. Yeah. And we get paid on a weekly basis. So we're never owed for longer than a week, which is amazing. When was the last time you heard that? Mm. Yeah, so I've switched to um, billing per week and it, oh, it makes such a difference. I mean, before I, like when I first started out, I did the typical thing of um, doing 30 days of work, sending an invoice, waiting another 30 days for that invoice to be paid, if at all. Um, and it was just a nightmare. You know, I'd have to wait from the day I started the project 60 days, up to 60 days for that invoice to be paid. So do you charge expenses on top of your work? Yeah, I do. Um, again, I didn't used to, but it, it was getting to the point where, um, you know, if, if, especially when I'm going up to London. But yeah, it's, um, it, if you if you don't charge expenses, it, it can take a big sort of cut out of your your rate. And you've got to remember that your your day rate isn't that you're not going to take all of that money home. Um, that's another thing that I was kind of. When, when I saw what people were charging, it's like, wow, that's, that's a lot of money. But then you, then you think about things like accountancy fees and, uh, you know, business insurance, uh, tax in, and things like software, computers, um, even things like legal fees. It, it really adds up. And, oh, and not, not to mention putting money aside like a retirement fund, because if you're freelance, you get, get a retirement fund. Yeah. Do you have one? Um, we've only just started in the last few years um, adding into something. Up until that point, I, we haven't had a pension at all, mm. and um, that gets to be you know that gets, gets to be quite scary. Yeah. So something... we, we have an amazing financial advisor now who um, puts all of uh, that sort of stuff in order for us. Oh man, accountants and financial advisors so useful. And I think the thing is about expenses. I've been thinking about this a lot recently, about this whole kind of topic of rates. And the thought occurred to me, and this is why I think that it's a little kind of dangerous to compare rates, for example, in that survey that Cole Henley did. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, sure, it can give a, it can give a, the wrong perception. But you know what? You don't need to have just one rate. Yeah. I figured this out the other day. I, you, you do not need to have just more than one rate. You can have more than one rate. I mean, we've had, um, over the last couple of years, we've had what we call our studio rate. Mm. And that is, that's an all inclusive rate. You're not, we're not having to take the time to, uh, calculate who's working on a job, how many people are working on the job. Are they designers or are they developers? Um, uh, anything like that is basically you get the building, mm. you know, it's a studio rate. It's all inclusive. And we also make it all inclusive for things like licenses, you know, software licenses, or you need to get uh, licenses for photos from a stock from a stock library, mm. or font licenses, things like that. All of that, all of that's included within the studio rate. And yeah, I mean, that's, it costs more to get that. You know, that studio rate is the highest rate that we have, but everything's taken care of. Hmm. And some people really like that. Some people really like the fact that, you know, we don't have to go back to them regularly and say, we need to buy this font license. You know, do you agree to that? Get a piece of paper signed. Hmm. None of that takes, takes care of all of that. It's a bit like kind of valet parking. You know, you prepare to pay a bit extra just to make, just so that everything's taken care of. So you can have the studio, right? And that's what, that's what we've had for a while now, which is the, you know, the, the, the rate that you will see in Cole's survey and everything's included in that. And then you might have a standard rate and your standard rate might not include expenses. This is the thing. You know, if you, if in your studio, right, 
in your all-inclusive valet, right? Yeah, you'll probably include expenses, things like that. Yeah, train fares and getting to places and stuff like that. But in the standard rate, that's none of that's included. It's it's more of a bare bones kind of work rate, and people obviously have to pay a little bit extra on top of that. You know, all the licenses and, and software and stuff like that that you might want to add on to the top. So when somebody says, "Is that is, oh, is that rate negotiable?" You know, can we can we do it cheaper? The answer is absolutely, absolutely, we can. If you don't want to pay the studio rate, we can we can take it down to the standard rate, and just be aware that obviously you'll have to pay for all the the stuff that we need along the way, and it's a great way of kind of knocking the price down a little bit without compromising on the actual work that you're doing or the time that it takes to to get that work done. That makes a lot of sense. And then the other thing is have a discretionary rate. And that could be something which is, you know, lower than you might advertise, which is for things that you really want to do. So, you know, you get a project through the door, you get that email from a client, um, and you know, not the one that says, I don't have much money, but, but you know, there's always <laughs> things that, that you think I'd really like to work on that. Even if it's like a small project, sometimes we still get things through the door from, you know, little local micro businesses. And you think, you know, I really want to help these people. I think I could do something really, really sweet for these people. Mm-hmm. Have a discretionary rate. Use it for charities or um, good causes. Uh, we use our discretionary rate for trade unions. You know, if trade union walks through the door or um, anything to do with kind of, you know, peace campaigning and stuff walks through the door, they will be getting our discretionary rate. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, sometimes it's about making money um, and sometimes it's about doing something that you're really passionate about working on. Yeah. That's what that discretion race for. So I do something very slightly differently um in that I, I I don't I don't ever charge less than my rate. But what I what I do do is um offer extra days. Sure. That's a good um, way of doing it. I just feel like if I compromise on my rate if I put it down it's like saying oh it never needed to be that high in the first place. And I feel like I you know the, the amount of charges um it could be higher but at the same time, I kind of I'm I'm happy with it at the moment. Um, I think I'll put it up next project, but um, yeah, it, it's I've got to feel like I'm I'm worth what I'm charging. Oh, absolutely, that's really really important. I just feel like I, you know, I don't have as much experience as you, and if if I were charging what, what you're charging, I'd be kind of um, I just wouldn't be feeling very honest. I know. I want to. I want to mention. I'll talk about this. Don't hold me. Hold me to that. I want to come back to that in a minute. The one thing, the last rate type that that I just want to mention though is have a rush rate. Ah, yeah. Plumbers have them. If you were to <laughs> phone up the plumber now and say, "There's ah, oh, my my tanks burst and the water's rushing through my living room ceiling," I need you here now. You'd be paying. You know, not not only would you be paying a call out fee, you'd be paying. The no compromise, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to fix things as quickly as I can rate. Mm. Not the I'll be here next Tuesday rate. And if plumbers can do it, why can't web designers do it? Because I tell you something, you know, it's classic, isn't it? You, you say to the client, when do you want to start? And they go, as soon as possible. Oh yeah, all the time. <laughs> Every web job that I've ever worked on has been a rush rate or should have been a rush rate. It's like every, it's an emergency. We must, the water's pouring in. We need a new website. So have a rush rate. Other 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 types of industries do. Here's what I wanted to say though, because you mentioned that a minute ago about not feeling like you wanted to charge too much. Mm. I tell you something. This is something that so many people need to learn, in my opinion. Is your rate is not necessarily an indication of your value or your status or the type of work, the type of job that you're going to do for a client. Mm. It isn't. An expensive designer is not necessarily better than a cheaper one. Yeah. And it's not about status. It's not about how long you've been doing it or how many followers you have on Twitter or how well your name is or anything like that, how well known your name is, anything like that. Your rate you know, doesn't reflect that or shouldn't reflect that. Um, it's about value and it's about relationships. And... I learned something a couple of years ago. Um, I was pitching on a project with a, uh, against another designer 
And I actually knew this person. And I knew that I was going to get that work done because of the, you know, the way that I work and the processes is that we have. I knew that I was going to get that work done in half the time. Um, and yet I was quoting the same amount of money as this other designer. Mm. And yet it was going to take me half the time. So, you know, because I'm efficient and because you're, um, good at what you do and you can get things done maybe in a short amount of time, does that mean you should get penalized for it? Yeah. I yeah. I don't think so. So you know? is this about kind of value based? Charter. Yeah. I mean, yeah. To, to the client, he was looking at the, you know, the, the, the fi- final bill, the final amount that he would have to pay. And it was the same. Hmm. It was the same between, between us and, and the other designer, but we were going to get it done in half the time. So there's, the, there's so much tied up in rates. Um, not just, you know, what you might see in terms of, you know, what's, what's written on the price sticker. Cause some people are going to include more too. I know that we've quoted against projects where all the, the, the other designers will have, they're just delivering Photoshop comps, PSDs. Yeah. Um, and yet our design deliverable is always something in HTML and CSS. Mm. Not so, necessarily production ready, but not something that they can, they, like a prototype. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's closer to the final result, but, and if they can take some of the things out of it that, that we've made, then brilliant. But no, it needs optimizing. It needs a proper front end developer to, you know, really hone it. Yeah. Um, and that's nice because that gives them the opportunity to focus on the things that, um, things like performance and, uh, browser compatibility, the stuff that front end is really good at. Yeah. I tell you mm-hmm. what it's, what it's taught me thinking about these, these, uh, these things and, and discussing it with other designers and competing against other designers over the last, you know, few years mm. is that, do you know what? Rates are not an issue between you and your competitors. Yeah. It's just, it's not about that. It's not yeah. about who charges more or anything like that. It's got absolutely nothing to do with you and other designers or developers. I tell you what it's got to do with. It's got, to, it's an issue between you and your customer. Yeah. This is where it comes in. And it's your rate, the price that you want to charge for something is it's purely a mechanism for you to agree that you're going to work together. That's right. all it is. It's, it's not about nickel and diming. It's not about the money, so to speak. Um, it's not about whether something is 600 pound or 800 pound. It's, it's about how you handle the discussions. It's the conversation about rates is always just about can we make an agreement to work together? Yeah. And rates are often not an issue. For a lot of companies, you know, a lot of big companies, hiring you and paying you £800 a day is, well, I mean, it's no different to paying you £600 a day. It's, it's, it's no different it's, yeah, to a small business, to a freelancer. That's a big difference. But to a lot of these large companies, the money is not the issue. What matters is how you deal with the issue, how you talk about rates and how you handle the negotiation. Mm. And, and that's also what, how you project the value you're giving them. Exactly. And that's what, that's what this discussion about rates is really all about. And a lot of it comes down to confidence. Mm. You know, people don't like talking about money. They think that it's somehow this kind of dirty subject. Yeah, I think I remember the first client project I worked on. Um, I didn't talk about money at all. And it came to the end of the project and he's the guy's like, so how much do I owe you? And, and I just said, Oh, uh, just, just whatever you, whatever you think. Um, and he did, he did actually pay me more than I thought I would get, but yeah, that's not a good way to. That's not a good way to run a business. The lesson to learn is never be defensive Mm. and to be confident because if you genuinely believe that you offer a fair price for what you do, then you should be able to hold your head up and have confidence in that conversation. Yeah. And never be defensive. Um, Always, always have confidence that, you're going to do a fantastic job for somebody and they're going to get a huge amount of value from it. 
And this is, it's really difficult for a lot of people to talk about money because you always get that kind of wincing, don't you? Sort of that. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, this is, if you're a freelancer, you run a business, this is your livelihood. You've got to get this right. Yeah. And the thing that I've learned is, listen, everything, everything in life, um, and everything in business is negotiable, right? So mm-hmm. if you give somebody a rate, you, know, you come, you walk through the door and you say to me, okay, how much is it going to be to, you know, design my website? And I say, okay, it's 800 pounds a day, whatever the rate is, whatever, whatever we agree. First thing that everybody would, um, you would always say next is, you know, is that negotiable? And the answer is, or should be always yes, but yes, in a really confident way. This is the important thing. Um, not that kind of, oh, well, I suppose we could do it for like 600 or, <laughs> you know, and you can kind of like the, the body language changes and the tone of voice changes. None of that. Um, conf- confidence is often kind of confused with arrogance, but there's nothing wrong with a bit of confidence. It's not, it's not arrogant to, um, be able to talk about the value that you can provide to somebody. Mm-hmm. And the thing to remember, what a lot of people forget is, negotiation isn't about getting the best price. It's not about somebody, in this case the client, beating you down on the cost, beating you down on your rate. Negotiation uh, is about getting the best deal. Mm. And that's got to be the best deal for both sides. It's not just the best deal for the client, it's the best deal for you too. Because if you think that um, you're not getting what you deserve to get or what you wanted to get for a, a job, then the likelihood is is that you could quite easily end up resenting the other side. Mm. And that's not going to be any good for anybody. And if you've if it's gone so far, if it's not a good business deal for both sides and it's gone so far down that, for example, um, the client wants to be flexible and they keep adding in new requirements and or things like that, you need to be feeling that you're making enough out of it for you to keep saying yes. And at the point where you think that maybe somebody's taking advantage or, you know, it's reached that limit, well, that's no good for anybody. Yeah. And that's why I, I, I like to recommend to know your break-even point, know at what point you're making a loss because otherwise you're, you're taking a stab in the dark and you could get to the end of a project and realise that you've actually lost money on it or that you would have been better off working at a fast food chain or something. Yeah, it's important. I mean, when somebody t- when somebody comes along and they want to negotiate on something, there's, negotiation is not just about dropping your rate. That's, that's yeah. not what negotiation is about. It's about saying to somebody, sure, if you want to spend less, then we need to figure out what it's best for you to spend your money on. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, maybe they can't have as much. Maybe they can't have as many templates. Maybe they can't have as many pages or as maybe they can't have a deeper set, a deeper set of functionality. There has to be compromise. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just for the designer or the developer or the freelancer to compromise. Compromise is for everybody so that everybody gets the deal that is best for them. And sometimes it can come down to, you know, just getting them to spend their money on the right things. We, we don't do this anymore. We don't, we don't kind of put content into a website for a client. <laughs> I've done it in the past. I used to do years ago. You used to have oh, to yeah, wait. I used to do <laughs> writing to, that content. You used to chase them for content and then you get a pathetic Word document with like a six point bulleted list in it <laughs> after waiting. <laughs> Some clip art. Um, but you know, what I will say to clients now, when if they talk about, um, wanting to reduce maybe the overall cost of a job is to say, well, listen, we are really expensive typists. I mean, like really ridiculously expensive typists. Um, If you handle this part of the job, if maybe you put your own content in, if you have access to the CMS, blah, 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 then we can concentrate on the important parts where we can add real value. And that can maybe reduce the number of days in the project so that the overall cost of the job comes down. But you're not losing out because you're not working on it. It's over to them to, to do their part. So it's about getting to spend the money on the right things. Mm. It's about respect is what it is, is what it's about. Yeah. And I think if you kind of, if you negotiate poorly, um, 
and they can they get in a position where they they kind of taken advantage of you a bit then you're not going to be working on the stuff that you're really good at um you know they they're, they're going to be they're going to treat you a lot differently to if you were charging your normal rate negotiation i mean yeah negotiation's a skill but it's so important how you handle negotiations or how you handle talking about your rate is so important in developing a client relationship mm. so important um and making them understand sometimes that it's important that you make money you know making money making a profit is is not a bad thing because it means that you're going to be around in the future to help them i remember years and years and years ago i worked in uh, digital photography and prepress and i worked for this company down in london we sold uh, digital cameras and digital proofers and things like that and we uh, we bought them from a big manufacturer and we always sold them at more than what the manufacturer charged that uh, so you you could clients could always buy these products cheaper from the manufacturer than they could buy them from us and we offered a level of support for these things and i remember my boss joe at the time explaining to clients that yeah we charge more but we charge more so that we're going to be around in 2 years or 3 years to support you and this is the thing with web design too you know you don't just want to hire a designer or a developer you're not just hiring them just for this one thing hopefully you're going to be working with them over a long period of time and you know we need to make sure that we're still in business down the line yeah um to be able to you know the last thing the the thing that really upsets me is when you get an email from a, a client to say my web designer went bust i can't get hold of him anymore you know can you help me yeah and i think maybe that happens because the person at the other end was doing that was sort of charging too little or just got burnt out it's really really important that people deal with negotiations in the right way and talk about their rates with confidence and you know 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 their subject inside out and can understand a little bit maybe where the client's coming from too i wrote an article did you i think you edited this didn't you for 24 ways back in december oh the one about um expensive yeah yeah we called we called it monkey business thinking that we were going to call our show monkey business <laughs> and then squirrels happened so we had to change the title <laughs> but this was the kind of really got me thinking really got me thinking about how you deal with um the reaction that we sometimes get when you present a rate to a client yeah and it got me thinking about how you present that rate and also what the um what how the conversation might follow once you've uh, once you've given it to them and This whole article was all about how to react when somebody says something's too expensive. Mm. Because you know what happens in a lot of the time, you know, you give somebody a price and they go, "Oh, that was a bit pricey." You know, or that was uh, that was a bit rich, real too expensive. And you know, what are they really saying? You know, bearing in mind that you know business negotiation is all about respect or should be all about respect. Yeah, it's about finding a balance where two people can work together. What 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 is it that you're saying when you say something's too expensive? Mm. You know, possibly what they're saying is it's more money than I wanted to pay. They're not they're not making a value judgment necessarily on on what you've what you've quoted. They they could be saying it's more money than simple. I just it's more money than I wanted to pay. And you've got to think about how you're going to react to that. and actually sometimes it's just about asking questions and where did they get that idea from yeah How, i mean they, where did they of, get the perception that it was going to cost a certain amount a lot of comments i hear people say is uh you know oh i can get my uh, my cousin to do it or i know someone who has photoshop i can ask them to do it and how do you kind of respond to that yeah i mean maybe the problem isn't with your rate maybe the problems with their perception or your kind of uh the way that you project your rate the way that you communicate it yeah quite easily and also about the value that they think they're going to receive from it so if it's more if it says it's more money than i wanted to pay well 
don't then immediately uh, react by saying, well, I'm sure there's something we can do about the price. Shift the conversation. Shift it back to the value that they're going to get from you working on the project rather than on what they're going to spend. Shift it to what they're going to get back rather than what they're going to put out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes if they are comparing you with one of your competitors or you know, another designer or developer, then at that point you need to start explaining to them maybe the differences between how you work and how your competitors might work. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe maybe if you work faster, you can give them their product faster so they can launch faster so they can get more customers faster. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of value in that. Um, maybe you include more like we do you know, with HTML and CSS, not just PSDs. Um, emphasize those kind of selling points and shift that conversation back to value rather than to you know, the headline price. Yeah. You know, maybe they say sometimes, and I've heard this a lot, yeah, it's more than I estimated it would cost, which is something, you know, slightly different. So where did they get that estimate from? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, did they have some work that they bought previously? You know, they had a website designed or developed before and they're comparing what you're doing now with potentially what you you did back then. Um, Ask these questions. Don't use the um, it's too expensive response um, as, as a block, as a negative thing. Use it as a positive thing so that you can actually start asking your client questions, getting to know them better, uh, understanding how they deal with things and kind of deepening that relationship. This is what negotiation is all about. Mm. And that's, then something, the, that's something I do when, um, when I'm pitching for work um, and I, I'm asked to sort of explain why I'm charging what I'm charging. Um, I'll do a breakdown of how long I think everything's going to take and also a description of what I'm, what it is that I'm going to be doing in that time. And then when they can see sort of what, what sort of things I'll be doing, they're like, Oh, wow. I didn't, I didn't realize you'd do that. Or I didn't realize you'd make it work on mobile phones or these sorts of things that, um, they, they, they don't really, they're quite difficult to communicate unless you're really spelling it out. Yeah. And this is the time to do it. You know, this is the time to really start explaining and getting to know the client. It's, it's how you handle this is going to set the tone for your relationship going forward. Mm. And if you are strong and confident, then the relationship will continue along that basis. If you are defensive, um, then that's going to give an impression that, you know, potentially isn't going to work out too well. Mm. I mean, the other thing is people always say it's more than I could afford. Yeah. You give them quite it's more than I can actually afford. It's more money than I've actually got. Well, you know, what are you going to do in that kind of situation? Um, if you really, really want the business, well, you know, some, somewhere, where, somewhere along the line, you've got to compromise. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's where you can maybe reach an agreement about what's in and what's out. And, you know, ask, ask selling questions. If you really want the business at this point, you know, start to sell. Um, you know, say to somebody, look, if we can agree what's in the spec and what's out of the spec, would you give in the business? Do I have the job? I've heard, so, um, I've heard some people talk about, uh, taking a, a cut of the business. Is that something that, that you've seen? Where, would, where people will say as, you know, I'll reduce my rate or I'll charge a lot less if I can have a, a cut of any profits in the next year. Yeah. Value based pricing. Mm. Um, is not something that I think I would ever do. Mm-hmm. And often we'll have email proposals come through where they'll say, you know, we haven't got much money, but, you know, maybe we'll give you 10% or something like that. The point with that, and the reason why I don't do this, I can't speak for anybody else, but the reason why I don't do this is that I'm not going to put my livelihood in somebody else's hands. Mm-hmm. You know, I, my destiny is, is then um, driven by somebody else's efforts and their success not by mine. And yeah, I might design an absolutely stonking website. Um, but that doesn't mean to say that overall it would have a great customer experience and overall it may be successful. There's lots of factors that go involved and my income is going to be dictated by that. 
And I don't think that that's a route that I would ever want to go down personally. Yeah, it's quite risky. I think I'd have to know the person very well in order to do that. You know, I think what a lot of this comes down to is it, it comes down to to confidence. And, you know, t- to be honest, with a little bit, it comes down to some selling skills as well. And I know that, that, that that's that's another touchy subject. It's another dirty word. Mm. Um, being good at selling is often seen as a negative thing, strangely. Business. Business. I know. And hopefully we can you know shake some of these myths with the podcast. But I read a really nice little article by Sam Hutchings this week. Um, put a link to it in the show notes. But Sam was talking about a lot of these businesses in the UK that have been going uh, broke recently, HMV and Jessup's and talking, he was talking about some of the reasons why, uh, they might have, uh, been unsuccessful in business and why other places like John Lewis and Apple and other, uh, stores are obviously su- succeeding. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing that was interesting to me about the, the end of, of Sam's article was he said, and I'm quoting here, the high street and shopping in general is changing. Customers want great experiences. They don't want to be sold to. And he's talking about being sold to there as if it's a somehow a negative thing. Mm. And he couldn't be more wrong, I don't think. He really couldn't be more wrong because actually being sold to well is a really great experience. It's a real joy. Um, everybody, everybody loves buying things, right? You go out shopping to make yourself feel better. Mm. everybody loves to buy things and a good salesman should help you to buy not get in your way so it's not about the guy that comes over and says you know you're 30 seconds in the store and somebody comes over and says can i help you with anything <laughs> and you go jesus no i haven't just walked <laughs> in the door you know i haven't even picked the thing up yet but you know if you know what you want to buy or you haven't and or you don't know specifically what you want to buy, but you know that you want to buy something and you walk into a store and you meet a good salesman who understands his subject. He knows his products. He can compare one thing to another. He can guide you to walking out of the door with the right product. Mm. And all the, of course, all the time he's selling to you, isn't he? All the time. But the um, way he does it feels a lot more human. He's giving his opinion as well as... Um you know, his kind of, his own, his own needs, his own kind of markup. Yeah. I mean, Sam's little quote here, customers want great experiences. They don't want to be sold to. What he should have said is they don't want to be sold to badly. Mm. And being sold to well is actually a really great experience. And it does, it, it can't do web designers or developers or people that are running businesses doing that stuff any harm to learn some sales techniques yeah. and that's going to really help people in negotiations. It's going to help people talking about rates. It's going to help people talking about you know, being more confident. I think a lot of it comes down to confidence, to being confident with your ability to, to do the job and that the rate that you're charging is kind of, is worth what you're proposing. If you, if you're vastly overcharging and you're not giving them a lot of value, then I think that's going to be quite obvious. Yeah, it's not authentic, and that, yeah. and you know, it, it needs it needs to be authentic. There's, you know, no, nobody likes to be ripped off, but that's that's not what what deciding on the right rate is all about. Yeah, we should talk about sales maybe in a future episode. Yeah, and I was thinking as well, looking at um, Cole's freelance rate survey. Um, he's got a little bit in there about uh, do you normally use a contract and. Only 56% of people said that they do. And I, I definitely want to talk about that very soon. All right. Well, we'll set a schedule. I want yeah. to talk about contracts too. There's so much we can talk about. I imagine we're going to get quite a bit of feedback from this episode that, that we should follow up in the next one. Yeah, we've got emails now. Now? Yeah, Where? I've set up emails. I oh, set... I thought you meant about this show. No, I've set up emails. How? <laughs> For our esteemed listeners. <laughs> Brilliant. You can, yeah, you can get, you can ask questions and you can suggest topics. Woohoo! Woo! How do people do that? Um, they can do it on Twitter at unfinishedbz. And, uh, and yeah, I set up some emails. You can get me. You can email me at 
This is clever. This is clever. <laughs> this is why I'm a designer. He has at unfinished.bz. Do you like that? I like that. And, uh, and they can contact you at she has at unfinishedbz. Nice. And you, you can get both of us. I've set one up that comes to both of us, uh, which is they have at unfinished.bz. <laughs> and you can follow me. I'm at malarkey on Twitter. And I'm Anna underscore Debenham on Twitter. I think that's a show, don't you? Yeah. Let's uh, button it up. We'd like to thank again our fantastic sponsor this week, Hammer for Mac. It's the app that speeds up your workflow by compiling SAS and CoffeeScript while allowing you to use includes and clever paths and even variables right there in your HTML. You can support the show by supporting them by going to hammerformac.com slash unfinished. And if you want to see the show notes, they're at unfinished.bz forward slash two. See you next week. See you next week.